We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. You all know that guy right there. That's Ryan Roberts, our Director of Recruiting. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we are here today to talk some Notre Dame football. You know, Ryan, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people ask about, you know, they want to talk about sort of the next season and the offseason. And I want to remind people, like, we're not to the offseason yet. Notre Dame has another game left to play. And we will find out on Sunday who that game will be, Ryan. But I, I do think as we dive into this period leading up to signing day, pre-bowl game, it is a good time to kind of take a look back at what we what we went through the last year and start to kind of get a glimpse of the future, which some of it I hope that we'll see in the bowl game. And obviously, as the Lucky Lefty podcast pointed out earlier, if you're not subscribed to the Lucky Lefty podcast, you need to check it out that it's been a year. This is a one-year anniversary of Brian Kelly stepping away from Notre Dame, and a lot has changed in the year. And And I'm not going to take the route that I initially wanted to go and kind of make it a, a petty, you know, glad he's gone kind of thing. Everybody knows my feelings on that. But more so look at it from a, you know, where's this program kind of gone over the last year? What did we learn about this team this season? Some of the good things we learned about it, some of the things that weren't so good because – the one thing we can agree on, Ryan, is eight and four is not good enough. And 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 I would imagine and be willing to bet that Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese and Al Golden and Mike Mickens and Harry Heastan and go down the line, you know, Dylan McCullough, Chancey, they'd all tell you the same thing. This isn't good enough, right? There may be some reasons why, but eight and four with losses to Stanford and Marshall is not good enough. And this program should be better and will be better. That's the sort of the negative. The positive is. I think we learned some things about this team that they're not there yet. In some areas, they're not as close as we thought they were. In other areas, I think they're a little bit closer than we mm-hmm. thought they were. And the fixes are, are going to be a little bit easier. So <clears throat> that's going to be the focus of uh, sort of this show, Ryan. But at the end of the day, we said before the season, anything less than 10-2 and two was, was not going to be good enough. I think that yeah. I was willing to go 9-3 and three because of how some things transpired early in the season. 
but you lost your chance to really redeem that with the loss to USC. So clearly there's work to be done here. But I also really feel like in a lot of ways, a foundation was laid this season with what this program can be on and off the field. And I think that's the thing that has me, you know, sort of encouraged. I guess I'm, I'm disappointed in the season, Ryan, but I'm mm-hmm. very encouraged, encouraged about where this program is headed because of some of the things that we saw this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, I am too. I think a great point that you start out with, Brian, is that the coaching staff is not okay with an eight and four record, right? Like they're not okay right. with that standard at Notre Dame. And I mean, when you look up and down the coaching staff, it's a staff full of winners. I mean, Harry Heastan's been a part of some some great teams, obviously, that have had a lot of success at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman was on very successful Ohio State teams and then Cincinnati teams, and he has a high expectation. You have two coaches that have Coaching Super Bowl is pretty recently one that's won a Super Bowl in Dila McCullough. You have coaches throughout the roster that have done a lot of winning in their lives, both as players, as coaches. So we know what the standard is at Notre Dame. We don't have to sit here and act and, you know, do a facade that this season's result is a positive one, right? Like eight and four, no matter how you push it at Notre Dame, is not a successful season. But I also do think that people get a little too hyperbolic about things sometimes, sure. right? Eight and four is not a success, but there's also a short-term versus long-term aspect right. to this conversation that we can have, right? Like there's a lot of positives that we can take on this season from position groups, from individual players, from coaching performances that you can say 2023, looking up, 2024, looking up. The sure. long-term aspect of this program I feel like it's still in very good hands. And I feel like there's a lot of positives that you could take from this year, although not positive in the record, you can say there's a lot to build on here. So I'm still positive with what the future holds with this, with this coaching staff and this team. I am. So let's begin with Ryan, by the way, it was under the 92nd over under, we made a bet on how long it would take for someone to make a comment that I'm not wearing a hat. And, uh, it was less than 90. Ryan said over under his 90 seconds. And I said, uh, I, 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 yeah, I kind of agreed with him on that. But I think it begins, first of all, with the conversation about Marcus Freeman. Yep. And I am not one of those people that says, I'm glad that they lost games because they learned lessons from those losses. That's not me. And, yep. and that's like, to me, that would be spin. If I were to say that, that would be spin. And 
but what I will say is, is what I also am a believer in is when that adversity comes, you're going to learn a lot more about people in those instances. You know, you learn it when, you know, I'll, I'll like, for example, my marriage, I learned a lot more about my wife and our relationship when we were going through tough times than I did when we were going through good times. It's, it's easy, easy to enjoy each other's company when everything is great and we both have jobs and everything is wonderful and we're getting along and our dogs are healthy and everything's grown good. But how do, how do you handle, you know, where's your marriage at when, you know, somebody loses a job, a dog gets sick, a family member's going through tough times, you know, that we're, we're not on the same page. And it's the same thing as this. I'm not going to say, hey, man, I really want some marital problems so that my wife and I can go stronger. But how do you handle them when they come? And that's how I feel about this season, right? Is you look at it and say, I'm not happy that they went eight and four. I'm kind of still ticked that they lost to Marshall and Stanford. There's no excuse for it. But I do feel also that we learned a lot about this football team and, and especially the head coach through those because I think that Coach Freeman did, had, went through what a lot of guys who've never had coaches go through. And that is, I, you, when you're an assistant coach, you always have this vision of, well, when I'm a coordinator, I'm going to do it this way. When I'm a head coach, I'm going to do it this way. And I think we saw some things with Coach Freeman this season where he thought it was going to go a certain way. He wanted to give his, like, each coach is an, each assistant coach is the head coach of his room. And that sounds great. And it, it's, it's, a nice sentiment. And I'm sure as the, as an assistant coach, you wanted it that way, but then you become the head coach and you realize, no, there can only be one head coach and that's gotta be me. Right. And, and, and yes, everyone has to have a voice, but there needs to be a very clear structure of what that looks like. And I think that one of the mistakes that coach Freeman made was I think he tried to be a coach. People say he's a player's coach. No, he's not. He's a coach's coach. And I think that was one of the things where he went a little bit too far in one direction of allowing everybody to kind of do their thing and not have enough of, no, 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 this is my butt on the line ultimately. And we're going to do this my way. We're going to do this my way. And so the Stanford game to me was the bottom point of this season. Yeah. And because Marshall finished eight and four, that's a Charles Huff's doing a really nice job with that program and, and did a really nice job with that program. And that was an unacceptable loss, but you could kind of chalk it up to game two, the emotion of coming down from the Ohio state game. You, you, you were right. missing some, you know, some players here or there. You're still getting used to this, that, or the other thing, right? The Stanford game, it was just even worse. It was just completely inexcusable because it was a bad team. You were mm-hmm. coming off of a, some quality wins and where we were hearing about fractured locker room and fractures in the staff and all these different, there was a lot of drama beyond just losing to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge early test for Marcus Freeman, one that you and I talked about. And I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but I know you and I and Sean talked about this off the air of this could be a make or break moment for Marcus Freeman already. How he handles this is going to tell us, can he, because if he would have handled it a certain way, you may never get the locker room back. Mm -hmm. And if you handle it another way, you know, it could, you, you may lose some coaches. You've got to try to find that middle ground. And from what we've everything we've heard is there were conversations that were had with Coach Freeman, his assistants with the team, and sort of a this is how we're going to do things, mm-hmm. and not a blaming type of you f this up, this is your fault, but more of a look, this isn't acceptable, that's on me. This is what we're going to do moving forward. Right, and I think that was a pivotal moment for him. And again, the season didn't end the way that that we would have wanted, mm-hmm. but I even think in the USC game 
for all the things we could pick apart about what they should have done here schematically or, you know, th- this play should have been made, this team showed a lot of heart. They fought. They battled. It's not good enough. It's not acceptable because Notre Dame should, you know, should have won that game. That should always be the expectations for Notre Dame. But the team that played that game and lost was a whole lot different than the team that played against Stanford and Marshall and lost. Yes. And it showed growth. And and you look at the wins in between, you know, the convincing win over over uh, Clemson, the convincing win over Syracuse, the dominant win over Boston College. I mean, all the different things that we saw, we saw growth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that now you head into the offseason where, you know, Marcus Freeman is has still been on the job less than a year as of right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And the growth that he's had kind of going through the season of lessons learned. And now you go into this offseason, you don't have to go through coaching searches for three months like you did last offseason, you know, right. trying to put a staff. I mean, he, he didn't get his full staff together to what, like March? I think because like you got, you know, he had he stand hired late. You had uh, Gal Golden was hired late because he wasn't hired till after the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so you look at it and say, you, you, those are done for. I mean, you may have a coach leave here and there, but it, your staff's in place. And I'm not saying that we're, they're going to lose a coach. I'm just saying you never know. That's just part of the nature of coaching. It's very rare that a team brings back all of their assistant coaches. And especially if you have good coaches, and Notre Dame has some really, really good coaches. And so, but for the most part, there's a staff in place. In, 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 in place. There is a system in place. There's an operation in place. There's a structure of leadership in place now that didn't really exist a year ago at this time. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't exist at all a year ago at this time because they have a head coach a year ago at this time. Mm-hmm. And in 10, 10 months ago, nine months or 11 months ago when Marcus Freeman was, was, was hired. And then, of course, then you got to spend that next month of bowl prep sort of coaching someone else's team for all intents and purposes. Yeah, And so you go into the offseason and then there's who's coming back and we've got it. It was all new. Now you've learned your lessons. You've kind of, hey, this really worked. This didn't work. And you get ready to move on to next year. And I think those are things that I look at and say, um, those are areas where I feel like that's a positive as you look mm-hmm. at this football team growing. Yeah. Well, Brian, let me ask you a question because it's this is something that we've never talked about, and I'm actually like genuinely curious about it, right? So obviously Marcus Freeman was on the previous staff for a year, right? So he had gotten an opportunity to see how Notre Dame football was being run, how Coach Kelly did things, how they did things from a day-to-day perspective during the season, before the season, all those things, right, after the season. And I'm curious if maybe early on, and I, I don't know if this is true. This is just me talking out loud if that coach Freeman was compromised a little bit, right? As in, yes, I want to do it my way, but these things have worked for this team, right? So structurally, I don't want to change everything. And then I wonder if there was a point during the season where he was just kind of like, that was probably a, a, that was, that was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. I should have completely changed this, everything that we did. Well, not everything, but changed it to be stuff that I fully believed in instead of compromising it all with what, the team was used to because that was one thing. I mean, the players love coach Freeman. I mean, you saw the, the uproar when, and in a good way, when he got, when he got the job and when they showed him for the first time and the, the, the players were obviously super excited about him getting the opportunity, but I am curious if there was some compromise early on, as far as structurally how he ran the program. And then if during the season, that breaking point was kind of the last point of like, Hey, I, I, got to get rid of the past, right? Like we have to move forward and we have to be 
unique to ourselves and this has to be run the way I want to. So just me talking out loud, Brian, like, I don't know if, if like you think that no, there might be something uh, to that. It's, I don't know. It's interesting though. It's interesting. I've heard some little things about that and some things that he did is just trying to continue what has worked. I think another part of this too, Ryan, is there's going to be a natural, even for players who maybe didn't like Brian Kelly, there's mm-hmm. going to be a natural, but this worked kind right. of thing. Like the Notre Dame players for the most part did not like Brian Kelly. And mm-hmm. that's just a fact. That's not anything anyone can really argue against, but there's also a level of respect for his, the job he did as the coach in that they won. Now, some players were like, you know, we won in spite of him, but a lot of them were like, Hey, you know, I didn't like him, but you know, he did this and it worked. And so I think there was a level of, you kind of have to continue that. And then right. when you do change things and you mm-hmm. don't have success, you're going to have veteran players are going to be like, or, or parents, which is something else I've heard. Sure. are going to point to and say, well, see, you know, Brian Kelly did it this way and it worked. Right. And that created a fracture at times. And I think what happened was as Marcus Freeman, as long uh, uh, as well as with the, the leadership of the team, Mm-hmm. Kind of said, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. We're not, we're not going to do that anymore. And, and you heard little things like Michael Mayer made some comments later in the year about how things were early in the year. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, there were, there were issues that were going on, right. but they were able to be resolved over the course of the year, which shows this is growth, right? I, I, and not letting it fester is, is yeah. an important thing, right? I guess what I'm kind of hinting at is I wonder if it would have been different. And obviously the situation would have been completely different. So yeah. Marcus Freeman would have never been the head coach if it was otherwise. But what if Marcus Freeman was at LSU for a year, right? Like he almost went to. And then he comes from LSU to Notre Dame, not knowing anything about the program, having a blank right. slate, and starting completely from scratch. Or, would it have looked or, different? Or replacing a coach that was fired who didn't right. have success. No, I, I get all that. And, and, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you that I think that when you're replacing a coach that had success, you can't just say, screw all that. We're throwing all that out. We're going to go. And I think sometimes you kind of have to absorb a certain way, especially when you're still trying to get your feet wet. Like if a coach came in who had experience and, and said, you know, he, look, I, I have a way or, or they hire. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a name without, having people lose their minds. Let's just say Urban Meyer gets hired and I would have not been happy about that, but yeah, let's just, he would have come in and said, we're going to, I don't care what was done before. We're going to do it my way. And he would have sort of the reputation and the, the resume to be like, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, that's, that's what we're going to do. And you buy into it easily. Right. 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 And whereas with coach Freeman, because he wasn't head coach, I think there was a natural, okay, I don't want to throw everything out. Let's continue some things. And I think that's why we saw a team early in the year, that wasn't quite able to live up to the identity that he wanted. Right. And I think we saw some of those changes that, that but the other part of it is, you know, there, there were some injuries and things like that. And I think sure. not having Jared Patterson and not having Avery Davis took away your two, two of your three best leaders on offense and all those other type of things. So I think it's one of those things where you look at and say, um, it, he didn't quite, he went through some growing pains as a head coach. I mean, I think he has admitted that publicly. He's admitted that. And I've actually been very surprised at his candor at times. Mm -hmm. You know, because Brian Kelly, the the frustrating thing with him is he would always spin something to where to make it where it wasn't his fault. Even when he would accept blame, he did it in a way that you you could tell he clearly doesn't actually believe that, or he would then spin it in a different direction. We're seeing that at LSU now. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's my fault, but there's always like a but kind of thing built into it. 
Oh yeah. And, and I think that Marcus Freeman kind of being open about, Hey, I didn't know how to handle losing to Marshall. I, I, I didn't know what buttons to push. Well, yeah, you have been here too. You've got two games as a head coaching experience. Like, yeah, okay. I, I get that. But then also showing late in the year that he did figure out which buttons to push with the exactly. team. Exactly. And I think all of those things were important to, to learn. Now I would have rather they have learned those with wins I would have rather they come back and beat Marshall late and come back and beat Stanford late and learn the lessons that way. Cause you can still, and, and coach said this recently, and we've always said this, you can learn lessons from victory or defeat. It's just, yes. they're going to be a little bit different, but a, a smart coach, a good coach who's process driven is going to be able to look at a win over Marshall that, you know, Tyler Buckner hits that late shot to, mm-hmm. or they make that third down stop on, on backed up and they make those stops and then they go punch it in and they win 22 to 12. You're still going to look back and say, man, we got to get better here, 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 and here. Right. You don't need the loss to grow, but when you do, it kind of smacks you right in the face and you have no choice, right. but to, to react that way. Well, and so, Good, right? I, I mean, he's a younger guy, right? So there's some benefits of the doubt to understanding that there has to be natural maturation, right? There has to be growing. I think that what you feel comfortable with after this season, although it's not the result you wanted, is that you did see growth from Marcus right. Freeman as a coach during the season. And that gives right. me more hope for next year. When you are a professional that wants to be the best that he possibly can, it's all about understanding that you can get better each and every day, that you still have opportunity to grow. Yeah. My dad always told me the minute that you know everything is the minute to do something else, to try something new, right? So I think that Coach Freeman knows that he can get a lot better in what yeah. he's doing, and he has the opportunity to move forward. And I think you saw instances during the season of that, yeah. that he understands that it needs to happen and that he's open to it happening, which gives right. me a lot of hope for, this, for the right. future of the program, a lot. I've met your dad, so yes. I can see him saying that, and, and, and that's a great lesson. The thing, too, Ryan, that I think is important to mention here is when, when things failed, what a lot of coaches can will do, especially younger coaches, Coaches without conviction is they're like, man, this is not good. And you'll see it all the time, Ryan, with coaches that fail is they let, okay, that wasn't working. Let's throw that out and let's go a different direction. When, when stuff hit the fan for Notre Dame, which really was the Marshall game, I mean the Stanford game, but even coming out of the Marshall game, what did Notre Dame do the next week? They were dead set on figuring out a way to run the football the next week, right? And shutting down the cow run game. And then of course against North Carolina, but then when stuff hit the fan against Stanford, he doubled down. He doubled down. He said, "No, no, no. We're, we're not only gonna, we're not only gonna continue to do what I believe in, but we're gonna do it even more. We're gonna push even harder. We're gonna focus on even more. We're gonna come out and even be more physical in the run game. We're gonna come out and even be more physical on defense. We're gonna focus even more on shut down the run." And again, they're far from perfect, as the USC game showed. Mm-hmm. But I think that showed a core conviction that is needed. Now we could argue and debate about whether or not he should you know, want to run an offense like this or a defense like this. And there's always going to be that. And that's part of the fun of covering a team is that you're not going to agree with everything that a coach does. And if you do, you've kind of become a fanboy, and you're not really an an analyst anymore. You're just a fan that's got a show and you're just talking. Right. So there will always be things like that that we'll disagree with. And, 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 but I, I I think that for a coach to, to be successful, you have to have core convictions Mm-hmm. And even in the face of adversity, you have to believe in those core convictions. Now, you may change and you should change. Okay, we need to look at our practice structure. 
We need to yep. look at our substitution philosophy. We need to look at, okay, are we not doing th- enough of this? Are we doing too much of this? Those things should all be on the table when you lose. But the foundation of what you believe in has to stay the same. If you're someone that believes in being fi- a physical running football team, just because you have some not good success really doesn't mean you abandon it. Ah, screw it. Let's go with the air raid. That's why Charlie Weiss failed. Mm-hmm. So like after 2006, Charlie Weiss went away from what he believed in because he thought, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. And remember, he tried to put in this gimmicky, like read zone stuff with Demetrius Jones and it didn't work. And he kind of went and, and every time he'd fail, like he would just kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater and try to go in a different direction. Then there wasn't a core conviction that he really believed in as far as what the foundation of the team was going to be about. Now, he mm-hmm. had a play calls that he believed in and an offensive system he believed in, but that's not a foundation. That's not a foundation of who you are as a football team. Right. Marcus Freeman can believe in running the football and say, we're going to go about it nine different ways. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. Hey, Tommy, I don't care if you run duo, inside zone, counter, but here's what I'm demanding. We're going to run the football and we're going to be physical, right? right. That doesn't mean that you're, you only throw eight times a game either. Right. Defensively, this is whether you want to do it at a three, three, five, a four, two, five, a four, three, a three, four. I don't care. But this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be about as a program. Then that's what we're going to recruit to. That's what we're going to do in the offseason. It's what we're going to expect of them in the dorms is we're going to expect of them in the cafeteria, in the classroom. These are the things we're going to expect of you. Discipline, focus, attention, the detail, all those type of things. And he never wavered on that. And that's. Mm -hmm something that a lot of young coaches will do is, is, is that. And I think that also played a role in Ryan, why we did see sort of the bounce back that we saw far from perfect. They were just out talenting people at times in certain areas, but they were able to do that later in the season in a way they couldn't early because they started kind of believing in the foundation of this is the identity of this team. And an identity of a team is not about an offensive system, a defensive scheme, certain run calls, certain third down blitzes, an identity of a team is how do you go about your business on an everyday basis? Mm-hmm. And then the system and the scheme have to fit that. And that's what started to really kind of say, and, and you know, I was told there was a, this is what we're going to do. You're either with us or you're not. And everybody rallied around it. And I think that's a big reason why we saw this team. They're not perfect. They didn't finish the way you wanted to. You had the ugly win over Navy and the lost USC, but you saw the growth. And I think it was it was for Marcus Freeman, it had to have been something I would imagine. This is me reading the situation. It was confirming. Mm-hmm. No, we can win this way. Yeah. Right. Again, you look at the Clemson game. We can win this way. And if you think about the USC game, couldn't stop Caleb Williams. They couldn't stop the run game. They couldn't run the ball. USC neutralized their special teams. And yet Notre Dame is still two unforced turnover errors away from having a chance to get the ball in the fourth quarter, a chance to win. Yep. Right. Uh, That shows that, okay, we got a lot to clean up on, Mm -hmm. but we're a pretty good football team, right? I mean, we've got some ability. And I think the way that they finished was frustrating, I'm sure, for the coaches, but also confirming of why did we lose to USC? We didn't do the two things that Marcus Freeman said that they're going to be about running the football and stopping the run. They didn't do that. And, you know, we'll get into some of the areas that they got to improve. That, that's going to be one of the things we're going to focus on is that. And so he can point to and say, we lost. Why? Because we didn't do what we what we have said we are going to be as a football team. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation. Hey, I've said you got to be able to stop the run. 
So why are we coming out in a three, three, five? I mean, those are conversations that you have. Now, of course he knew that we were going to do that. He was, you know, but those things you look at and, and say not, and I'm saying, he's not saying that the Al Golden is like blaming. I had no idea you're going to do this. I'm saying you say, sometimes you say as a coach, like looking back, you're like, God, I was stupid. I can't believe I did that. Right. And I can't believe I focused on that knowing that like, you know, that's what you do when you lose. Right. I mean, you, you reflect back and thinking, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. I should, we should have done something different. And I think those are the lessons. And I think the, the way that they finished the season was confirmation of Marcus Freeman. Like, no, 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 this is how you win at Notre Dame. This is how you win at Notre Dame. And I want to make a point about this, Ryan, because there's an example, and it hurts me to say this, but there's a great example of why, even in the face of adversity, you have to be who you are. And if you can't be who you are, you need to leave. Mm -hmm. I really thought Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan was over in 2020. They went two and four. That team quit at the end of the year. I mean, just flat quit. They wanted no part of playing Ohio State, right? It was mm-hmm. COVID and all this other stuff. That yep. team was a, that team was a joke. I mean, you're you're a two and four team. You're coming off of a 2019 season where you went nine and four. You got blasted by Ohio State at the end of the year. You got embarrassed by Michigan in the bowl game. You got blown out earlier that year by Wisconsin. You come out the next year, you go two and four, and all the success that they had was was gone. Now he overhauled his coaching staff and he made some philosophical changes on defense, but they never wavered on who they are. They doubled down on who they are. And since that time, you know, so he brings in Sharon Moore. They mm-hmm. become a very physical football team. It's funny that when the the genius Josh Gaddis leaves, the offense looks exactly like it did when he was here. And you realize it wasn't. And then you see Miami grasping at straws offense. You're like, no, that was Jim Harbaugh's offense, not Josh Gaddis's offense. And and he doubled down. This is who we're going to be. And what Mm -hmm. happens? The last two years, they've gone 23 and one in the regular season. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And now, like Jim Harbaugh or not, but the reality is if you have a core conviction, you build around that conviction. You hire to that conviction. And, and if players don't want to buy in, then go somewhere else. If they buy in, then we're going to be all right because the players are there. And I think that that's, that was a lesson. And you can win that way. Michigan has shown you can go beat a fast, athletic, up-tempo, high-octane pass offense if you kick their teeth in for 60 minutes. Right. Like, you remember how we talked about how the Notre Dame-USC game in 2017 was the no-moss game? That's mm-hmm. what Saturday was for Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State kids just got sick of getting punched in the mouth. And they quit. I'll say they quit, but they they flinched. Yes. Right? They flinched. And I think that's the thing that is, is we saw a lot of conviction of, okay, yes, we are going to win this way. And that's what kind of gives me one of the reasons for optimism moving forward is because, A, you can win that way, and B – Marcus Freeman showed that when we do what we believe in, we're, we can we can be that kind of team. There's no doubt. Well, it, it's process driven, right? We always talk about process, be, things being process versus versus, you know, the results, results driven. Yes, results was the word I was looking for. Ryan, my favorite my favorite subject to teach when I was a teacher was math because there are multiple ways to get to the end of a problem. That's the great thing about math is that there's some people that can see things differently, they can solve things differently. But all I'll say is this, is that for Coach Freeman, 
he has identified the way that he needs to get to the end of the problem. He needs to get to the result. This is his process. Well, good luck getting to the end of a good luck getting to the end of a long division problem if you don't know how to add and add and subtract, right? Like if you don't know the process of those things to get to the final final result, final product. Good luck getting there. And that's what I look like. That's what I'm continue to be so optimistic about this team is that I think that there is a deep belief in this coaching staff from the top up or the top down, I should say, about how we need to get there. And I also think Coach Freeman understands deeply. And I mean, we've talked about this a ton. I think he understands deeply that there are still a lot of improvements that need to happen with this program just from a talent perspective. Right. He understands how important recruiting is acquisition of talents potentially in the portal in a couple spots continuing to bolster this roster on top of finding the process that works for each individual team so i feel really i i'm i feel very optimistic about where this team can go i do because i think that there's and we'll take we'll get into this a little bit right brian but like there's a lot of younger players on this football team a lot of core players that are going to be back next year that you look at and say, I can build off of what that kid showed me this year. There's right. a lot of coaches, both young and older, that you can look at on this team and say, that guy is heading in the right direction, yeah. and he has a core belief that yeah. is the same as the core standard up top. So, again, optimistic. Does that mean that this season was a success from a win-loss perspective? Absolutely not. Both things can be the same, though, right? Yeah. It, it could yeah. be an unsuccessful season, but there is a baseline that is still being developed towards getting to your goals in the future. So mm-hmm. then we all need to understand that is that us saying that we're so optimistic about the future does not give this season a pass. It's a bad start, right? Eight and four is not a good season for Notre Dame. Nine and four if they win the bowl game. But regardless, I still feel confident with where Coach Freeman is going and where this program is going because I do think that everything is he is doing is process-driven, which gives right. me a lot of hope. And I think that's a big key, Ryan. It, it, it's it, it, That's the thing that encourages me about kind of where they are with Marcus Freeman is that I, I think he gets that. I, I do. I, I think watching him pissed off after the UNLV game, you'd have thought they lost 44-21. to That told me something. Like visibly upset after that game. Like he was visibly pissed. Like I have a picture of him in the singing the alma mater where he just looks – like somebody kicked his dog. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he was pissed. That's the best part about how guys like Nick Saban are too, Brian, right? right? Like if, even if they blow out a team, but he is not satisfied with the process to how they got there, it's not going to be acceptable to him. Right. Right. And And, that's that's a good thing. I want a coach to be that way. I want a coach to kind of have that, you know, uh, boy, you know, it's not just about winning. It's about, did you play Notre Dame brand of football today? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the great coaches are. We're going to find out if Marcus Freeman is a great coach or not. We, we don't. It's no matter what he would have done this year, if they'd have gone twelve and zero in the regular season, it wouldn't have meant he's a great coach because you could have said, "Well, he inherited an eleven and one team." You know what I mean? With some veteran players. I mean, you know, it, Ryan Day is a perfect example. I have been saying for years we won't really know who Ryan Day is until you get further and further away from you know, the Urban Meyer era, and we're seeing the further and further away they get from Urban Meyer, they don't play very good defense. They're not very physical, and they're a kind of a finesse team. That's not who Urban Meyer's teams were. They didn't win a championship in 2014 by being finesse. They won a t- the championship in 2014 by running the ball down Alabama's throat. And they're not that team anymore, right? And so you, you, it takes time to learn, but I think 
the difference is, is that the, the, the lack of success in the record is going to allow Marcus. The one, the one positive to that is you can kind of look at it and say, okay, I don't have to keep pretending like we're going to do it a certain way. We're going to now do it my way moving forward. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's an important lesson. Again, it's not one that I would have, I would have rather him learn that by going 12 and 0, but, uh, or 11 and one at the very worst, but it, you know, it's a lesson that you could be learned. And and I think Ryan, as we kind of look at the overall structure of the team, Mm -hmm. I think there's some areas where this year exposed that, there are some areas that maybe they're a little closer than we thought mm-hmm. they were in some areas where whether they are close or not is it's okay. It's very clear now that, that you need to step up and, and get better here. And I kind of want to just focus a little bit on that here for a few minutes. And, and I think, and I'll start kind of with a, with a positive aspect of it. The positive aspect of it is I think, some areas that we were that were big question marks this season going into the seat into the campaign turned out to be major strengths. Biggest one being cornerback. Mm-hmm. The future at cornerback is incredibly bright. Yeah. Number one, all the people that were kind of questioning Mike Mickens, which I thought was kind of a little bit nutty when you consider what he was working with his first couple years. That was one position where the roster he inherited was not good. Yeah. You know, and, and if you look at the secondary as a whole, if you don't have converted players and a transfer in Brandon Joseph, the secondary is a problem. If you don't move Cam Hart to corner from receiver, if you don't move Xavier Watts to safety from receiver, your depth chart's looking a little shaky right now. Yep. It, it just is. And so he's been able to kind of go recruit. He had a good first recruiting class. I like I still like that people says the 2021 cornerback class of bust. It's like no. It's just that the 22 class was way better. That happens sometimes, you know? And and then, of course, he's bringing another 2023 class that's excellent. And and his coaching has always been good. I mean, Nick mm-hmm. McLeod was a mediocre cornerback in the ACC in 2019 and 2018. In 2020, he was an all-conference guy. Why? So we're going to Mike Mickens. Yeah, it's just, it really is as simple as that for me, Ryan. So cornerback is, is you know, Benjamin Morrison. I thought he was going to be really, really good. I thought he was a, had a potential to be a three-year kid. I did not – I don't know if there was anybody outside of Mike Mickens and the Morrison family that was higher on Benjamin Morrison than me, and I still didn't think he was going to be this good this early. Mm-hmm. He even exceeded you – know, so, so that's a positive. You know, Cam Hart, the second half of the year, was really good. And so you look at the – you know, uh, Tariq Bracey, how, how well he was able to get him past his sort of mental – block that he was going through his first year and become what he was. You know, Jaden Mickey went through some tough lessons this year, but also showed he's got some talent because on TV, you see the plays where he gets beat. What you don't see is the other plays where like he's locking that dude down. Mm-hmm. And those are the, the areas where you say the corner, the future cornerback is going to be pretty good, especially if Cam Hart returns for his, yep. uh, for, for the 2023 season. And so I think that's an area, Ryan, that you look at and say, that was considered a biggest question mark on the defense coming into the season. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the year, you could argue when Cam Hart and Treek Bracey were in the lineup, you could make a strong case that the cornerback position was without question the second half of the year, at least Notre Dame's best position group. I would, I would argue that position yeah. group. I, I mean, it's, it's wild to kind of think where we are now compared to the preseason, because I mean, 
look, we, we could talk about Benjamin Morrison all day if we wanted to, right? The kid has five interceptions. He's been fantastic, has a starting role, and potential freshman All-American in his first year. That's without a spring, by the way, folks. Like, he didn't get here until the summer, <laughs> right, which is pretty wild to think about. So you're guaranteed to have him coming back. He's only a freshman, right? So you have at least two more years of him, potentially. You have him. If Cam Hart comes back, you know, we'll see what happens with that conversation. I know that there's going to be a debate on, you know, if he goes, if he leaves, whatever it ends up being. But if Cam Hart comes back and you have potentially one of the best cornerback duos in all of college football next year on the Mm -hmm. outside, you're losing Tariq Bracey, which is going to be a loss. loss. Of course, he's a really good football player, but you still have guys that you feel good about the potential. You know, Clarence Mm -hmm. Lewis fitting inside a little bit more. Jaden Mickey, a year older. There are some guys, and not even counting the 2021 class, where you could still potentially have Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, and Chance Tucker all back, right? Like, I don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that they all come back, but you still have guys that have not exhausted eligibility. So you're really only losing one key player off of that unit if Cam Hart decides to come back. So you look at that roster, not only that, you also have – Micah Bell coming in. You also have well, Christian Gray coming in. And I yes. just wanted to point out something real quick, Ryan. If yeah. those guys leave, if, and we're mm-hmm. just having a conversation here. We're not saying they're going to leave. Yeah. It's because they got over-recruited. Yes. And and that's not a bad place to be. I, mean, I don't want any of those kids to leave. I like all those yeah. kids. I think they all have a chance to be good players in their name. Yep. And I hope they stay. But if they do leave, it's because they over-recruited them, and that shows a healthy roster. Well, That shows a healthy program in my opinion and and if you listen to us in the preseason brian like i was high on ryan barnes i was i thought ryan barnes was going to be a good player for this team i really did i thought he could potentially be the starting corner opposite of cam hart the fact that he got buried on the depth chart along with the other 2021 cornerbacks is not because they can't play it's because the 2022 kids that came in can play right you have again we have a potential freshman all-american in that group and benjamin morrison so having all that talent coming back on top of Micah Bell coming in, who might not be a, a first-year contributor on the defensive side of the football because he's still raw, right. but long-term. But he can freaking run. Yes. Long, he can long, run. Long-term, he's going to be an excellent football player for Notre Dame. But then you also have Christian Gray coming in, who is a right. a guy that is pretty technically advanced for his age, right, that is going to come in during the spring and get to compete early on for potential reps. So you have another talented 2023 class coming in. Not to mention, you already have a kid in 2024 that's committed in Carson Hobbs, who's a pretty mm-hmm. talented player as well. The cornerback room, not only for 2023, but the foreseeable future, as long as Mike Mickens is here and they continue to recruit at the level they do, mm-hmm. is in a very good place. There's no right. question. I mean, you like I said, Brian, you could argue if Cam Hart comes back and you have Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison, I would put that up against just about any cornerback duo in all of college right. football. That is fantastic, man. Right. That is a really great duo to build off of. Well, I think to your point about that position group, and we'll we'll do deeper dives in each position group moving forward, but you, you're going to have options next year for that third spot, and that's where you want to be. It's not like, well, if Jaden Mickey doesn't pan out, you're screwed. It, you know, it, it's there's going to be options there. I think a, I think the running back depth chart, Ryan – we gave it a lot of hype. We caught a lot of flack early in the year. Remember after a couple bad games, like, oh, you guys running your mouths about, you know, top five running back group. I'm like, yeah, because they're supposed to block for the run game too. But I think what we saw by the end of the year is this is a very talented running back room, very talented running back room. And it's only going to get better. You get, you're going to get your Darren Price back next year. 
you're going to, you're bringing in two dues. I, I had a stat today. I put on the message board, Ryan, this is nuts. Jeremiah Love in his last high school football game, a game in which his team won their second straight state championship, he had 19 carries in the championship game for 211 yards and three touchdowns. To make even more impressive, he had three catches for 106 yards and what, one touchdown or two? We had one or two catching, two catching. So you're talking about a kid who in a state championship game had five touchdowns, right? Yep, yep. Here's the even crazier thing. He played in eight playoff games in his career, eight playoff games. In, in two of those games, he only had one carry and three carries because they blew out the same team two years in a row. So he like played, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. But in those eight playoff games, he had 1,022 rushing yards, averaged 11.1 yards per carry, and had 17 rushing touchdowns. In eight playoff games against a pretty good level of football, the best defense, the best player on the other team that they beat that he he rushed for 211 yards against a team whose best defensive lineman is ranked by on three, I believe, as one of the top five players in the country Williams in the and, 2024 and class. Yep, yep, yep. And a kid who has another name offer. And so you're you're gonna and 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 because he's playing so well, we're no one's even talking about Jane the monster season Jane Lamar's having. <laughs> right. So that the future of that position is very bright. There's no not, question not, about it. Not only that, Brian, to add to the Jeremiah Love thing, I think it was the game before they went against AJ Epinez's younger brother, who's one of the top 2025 kids in the cl- mm-hmm. in that class. And then the top, the game before that, he went against Christian Gray and the Smet Jesuit, right? So, right. like, yes, he's playing, he's playing dudes, man. He's not playing a bad level of competition in St. Louis. He's playing against some really good talent. Springfield is another team that he saw that we know is a really talented team out of the state of Ohio during the year. So it, Yes, he's playing a very high level of competition, and he dominated any time he got the football, really. I mean, what was the the stat against Vianney? He had one carry for 20-yard touchdown or something like that. It's like Yeah, it was like one carry for 20 yards, and yeah, it was ridiculous. (laughs) And they were up like – I mean, they were up big. And the craziest part is that a part of that running back room in twenty for the 2023 recruits that are committed to Notre Dame right now – Jeremiah Love didn't even have those touchdowns this past weekend, right? right. Jane Lamar had six touchdowns in their right. playoff win. So nuts. adding that to Logan Diggs, Audric Estime, see what happens with Chris Tyree. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that situation. But Jadarian Price coming back from injury. Jabron Payne in the room as well, who's a talented kid. That running back room, man, is going to be yeah. bananas over yeah. the next few years because we know that they're in a good place right now, too, with right. Aeneas Williams in the 2024 right. class. So they're going to they're gonna continue to haul a lot of great running back talent over the next few years. And I think the return of Harry Heastan reminded us that Notre Dame did always have talent on the offensive line. It's not, it, you know, it's it's still a process of getting them back completely where he wants them to be. There was some inconsistency this year, even late in the year. But you saw like, okay, they're a different deal when Harry Heastan's back because there is talent there. That's a strong foundation. You know, so there's a lot of areas where you feel good. And then there's some areas where, you know, they took a step back or at least maybe maybe not took a step back, but maybe playing a tougher schedule uh, made kind of expose some areas where maybe you're, you're not good enough. And obviously right. qu- quarterback is what we thought it was. I, I don't I don't know if we I mean, I, I can't I people say, what's your grade on court incomplete? I mean, you're starting quarterback play two two not even full two full games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played good in one and terrible in the other you know and and that was it his first two starts and then you know we said before the year was you know drew pine's gonna win you a lot of games but can he beat the best teams on your schedule that's still debatable i mean he he couldn't quite do enough to beat usc 
Yes, he put up big yards, but he had two big turnovers that, that were a part of them losing that game. You know, he did did what he needed to do against Clemson. They didn't beat Clemson 35-14 because of, of Drew Pine's arm. You know, so incomplete, it's a big yeah. question mark. It's an area where I think you've got to get better, and we'll have a show this week about the transfer portal and quarterback position and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think another th- an area where safety's got to have a big a big overhaul at safety and I think linebacker, there's got to be some some questions and answers found at linebacker this year. And and I don't know if it's a personnel thing, if it's a scheme thing, if it's a little bit of both. But that was a position group that uh, I didn't think played well. And I'm going to be honest about something too, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I, I was I, the defensive line. There's a there was a hot debate on the board the other day, and somebody's like, "Oh, the defensive line was average." I'm like that's nonsense. The defensive line was definitely not average. But I will say that the defensive line didn't play as well as it should have and could have. I think that's a question mark that I have moving forward that needs to be addressed is, you know, was it talent? Was it coaching? Was it a little bit of both? Was it learning a new system? What what was it? Was it you played some good offensive line? I don't know what the answer is. But that was a position group that, again, there needs to be a a rational conversation on this. Mm -hmm. Going to the extreme, oh, they weren't that good. They they um, They were average or slightly above. No, that's wrong but they also weren't the elite group they could and should have been and at least not consistently when they were on, they dominated games, but there was, it was way too up and down. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that, you know, in previous years with Mike Elson, they were, they, they were, they had their hot, the same highs where they would just dominate, but the lows were never like what we saw this year from the defensive line. That's something that needs to be addressed too. And so these are all things that Marcus Freeman needs to look at as you head into the off season and say, you know, in the two biggest game, in two of the three biggest games we played, the bookends, when the game was on the line, we couldn't stop the run. Ohio State in the opener and USC at the end of the year. And everybody yep. can talk about CJ Stroud and Caleb Williams and all that stuff, but you lost those games because you couldn't stop the run. No. My, Mayan, Mayan Williams won that football game for Ohio State. And, well, I mean, CJ Stroud made a few good plays, right? Yeah, but he made some really fact- clutch throws, and but yes. But that yeah. offensive line and Mayan Williams in the fourth quarter wore down the Notre Dame defense. He did. And then Austin Jones was the X factor in this football game against USC. And what do you have, like 150 yards? Like, it was ridiculous. It didn't yeah, and they rushed sense. for over 200 yards in that game as a team. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the difference. We knew that Caleb Williams was going to make some plays because he's a fantastic player. But the fact that Notre and I said this before the game, if Notre Dame wasn't able to stop the run against a team that I didn't consider a great running team, that's a bad sign, right? Like that's a really bad sign. So I think that you point to that, Brian, when Notre Dame had its complete games, I would argue that's when the linebackers played their best, right? When the linebackers yes. played bad football, they usually didn't play very well. When, the, didn't when win. the Notre Dame box played well, Ryan, you could not yes. beat this team. Yeah, you could even you couldn't even be competitive against this team, Ryan. North right. Carolina couldn't be competitive against Notre Dame because the box played well, right? Right. Clemson couldn't be competitive against Notre Dame because the lines in the box played well. Both lines mm-hmm. in the box played well. Yep. They didn't against USC, and they lost. Yep. Right, and that's that's something that's got to be addressed. It's got to be addressed. And for defensive line wise, right, people are going to talk about, you know, size of defensive tackles and, and we'll have all those conversations during the offseason, right? Like we'll continue to talk about that. But for me, it's it's going to be a very interesting offseason for Al Washington because you came into the season this year and you're like, there's a lot of talent there, right? Isaiah Foskey is as talented as you will find in college football just about. Jason Adam Malola obviously was coming off of a pretty strong 
you know, 2021 season. So you're like, okay, taking the next step, those guys are going to be dudes. And then you have a bunch of nice complimentary pieces, the Justin Adam Alolas, the Howard Crosses of the world, the ascension of Gabriel Rubio, because he took a pretty nice step, I thought, throughout the mm-hmm. majority of this season. But it was really, I mean, Isaiah Foskey was still good, but I didn't feel like he took a step, right? Like he was still a good player, like he has been over the last couple of years. Still very good player when he's playing his mm-hmm. best football, but he wasn't great this year, right? Like he didn't not take that consistently. Step. Exactly. Yeah. Through the course, like the course of an entire season, I feel like he didn't take a step forward. Jason's a little bit of a different story because he was banged up throughout the year and all that good stuff. But you know, you just some of the guys that you were expecting to take big steps for Notre Dame didn't. And mm-hmm. There's always a variety of reasons. I just mentioned right. Jason Adam Malola had a little bit of a, you know, some nagging injuries and such throughout the season. So it's not all on the coach, but it's, but this is an off season where now I say, all right, Al, it wasn't a great first year developing that defensive line. So it needs to be better in year two, right? Like you need right. to take a step forward and you don't have, you're not going to have Isaiah Foskey most likely. You're not going to have Jason Adam Malola. So you don't have the dudes anymore, right? So this next offseason really comes well, the down proven to the dudes, the proven yes. dudes, right? Yes, the the, the understood. Because yeah. I was going, I was going to push makers. back a little bit on having dudes. <laughs> oh no, but the no. established, correct. Yes. We're on the same yes. page. You're We're still going to have page. plenty of talent. You're going to have Riley right. Mills coming back most likely. You're going to have Joshua Burnham in his second year. You're going to have Aiden Gobira. There's still going to be Tyson plenty Ford, of as talent. you mentioned, Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye is a guy that people keep or talk about keeping an eye on. Uh, yep. Jordan Patelho should be back. Plus, you've got a really good D-line class coming in with yes. a couple guys that are going to be capable of pushing early on. But yep. you've got to find out answers because that's part of what an offseason is, is, okay, why could – here's one. I'm going to I'm gonna have an article this season mm-hmm. or this this week about this. The Notre Dame run game. When it was on this year, it was really good. When it when it wasn't, it was – there was no happy medium. There was no, like – there was the Stanford game where they rushed for 150. Outside of that, it was either 220 plus or sub 100 late in the year. Like that, that you can't have those highs and lows. Address why. What were the reasons why? Is there is it was a schematic? Was it preparation? Was it play calling? Was it execution? Was it not having a pass game threat? Was it formational? Like those are all parts of what you need to do, and those are parts of what you need to do before the bowl game. Right, because that's what you have. Fifteen practices to work on that stuff leading up to another game, and I think that's an important part too. Is a lot of stuff that we're talking about is stuff that needs to be addressed before the bowl game. Yes. You don't. Let's just keep doing what we've been doing the next fifteen practices. It's like, hey, look, we've got a couple weeks here before mm-hmm. we really got to dive into bowl prep. Kids are going to have finals and all that other kind of stuff. Let's spend some time. You, you can't go on the road till next week till what Friday, you know. Yeah. So let's spend some days diving into film. You know, and, and tar- talking about some of these issues and then see well, what can be addressed now. What needs to be wait? Do we have to wait until the offseason to address? I think those are all parts of it. So, yeah. And then they've got to get their kicking situation figured out, too, because yes. obviously Blake Groupie was OK, but not good enough. Is Josh <laughs> Bryan the answer if healthy? If not, do you need to go to the portal again for another kicker? Did a great job of punter. With yes. John Sott, they feel really good from people I've talked to. They feel really good about Bryce McPherson's future. It was nice to have John Sott as that bridge, especially when Bryce got hurt. You know, mm-hmm. so you feel like you've got your punter of the future, but, you know, the kicker's got to get figured out. You're losing your long snapper. And yep. Michael Vinson, I believe, is done after this year. Please so, uh, and he was excellent. I mean, so there's there's question marks about this team, Ryan, that, that, that are going to have to get addressed. But the, at the end of the day, there's there's some areas of build around, and I think mm-hmm. and I think that's why the defensive line is so important. Is you've got to 
the offensive line, you feel like, okay, it's going to be pretty good. Right? Mm-hmm. You could argue that, I mean, I would make a case that in the last, I'll, I'll just say it, and you, and if you disagree, I'd love to hear who who you think it is. I will, my my comment is my belief is after breaking down the film mm-hmm. that we know the tackles are really good. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's best interior lineman in the last seven weeks was Zeke Carell, not Jarrett Patterson. I, I wouldn't argue consistently. Against it. Consistently. I I feel I feel like you can have an argument for Zeke. I feel like you can have a hard argument for Jarrett, and I would not push. And I think at times you can make an argument for Josh Lug. In a couple Lug. games, Josh Lug was very good. My yes. thing is not in that he was better in every individual game. Mm-hmm. It's that he was consistently better. Now part of that was Jarrett was playing with injuries all year, and so sure. that's not a shot at Jarrett at all. I mean, I love that kid's attitude. I love that kid's heart. That he battled through injuries. It was just production wise, I felt like Zeke was consistently their best interior lineman. He's mm-hmm. coming back. Yes, Your tackles are coming back. There's a lot of young talent that you feel good about on the offensive line. So I feel like the offensive line, I feel good there. You're yes. losing Michael Mayer. He's a star. I feel they're going to be okay there, right? To the defensive, to the offensive, line, to the offensive line point, real quick, Brian, I would also say your two tackles in your center, like those are the three most important positions on an offensive line, man. Like you can figure out guard. You can kind of manufacture, and you can even put some Band-Aids on the guard position at times. You can but center and the both tackle positions, I think, is paramount to having answers for. And you have answers going into next season. Which So I just mm-hmm. want to add a little bit of context to how yeah. important it is to have in those three positions specifically. Yeah. I think when you look at the defensive line, I think that's where I feel like there needs to be a much bigger conversation about how they're going about their business. Right. With the offensive line, it's like keep doing what you're doing and, you know, figure out some some things to, to be more consistent with it. But I. Like even against USC, I, I don't really look at that game and say they couldn't run the ball because of things the line was doing. USC was basically saying, we're not going to let you run. We're going to throw eight guys at you the entire game, and we're going we're gonna to do these things to kind of make it hard for you to run the football, and we're going to make you beat us with your arm. And simply put, Drew couldn't do it, and the, and the offense couldn't do it. It was not just Drew, but, yeah, the numbers 23 of 26, 318 yards and all that, but they needed two more plays to be made that they couldn't make. And, you know, that's the difference. And that's that's why USC said, we're going to make you make you beat us that way. We're not going to let your line and your running backs beat us. We're not. You know, so that was that was part of it. Defensive line wise, I think, is where there needs to be an even bigger question, discussion about why were we not better? Yeah. You know, and if it's talent, if you don't if you if the talent's not as good as we think, okay, then you better recruit better than you did, because Al Washington and we had a super chat about this Mm -hmm. uh, from. from Michael S who loves beating up on our Washington. But uh, he, he said uh, with a super chase said in, in season assessment of Washington in the D line. And that's kind of what we're, what we're getting at is you, you're, you weren't, not only are you not great, mm-hmm. but you also lost Keon Keeley. Yes. You lost out on Jason Moore. Mm-hmm. You did a nice job flipping Armel Mookum, but. And we'll see. Know, and this this is not against Al, uh, Al Washington yet, Brian. But I mean, if it seems like they were very late in the twenty twenty four class to Justin Scott, right? A so kid right down up, the street, right? If he ends up at a different school, which we'll see what happens, that would also be another kind of like blemish on your record, right? Because that's a kid that you should get ten out of ten times. That's that's yep. every kid, right? And so that's a question mark, Ryan. I mean, they were right there early on, Nigel Smith, Elijah Rushing. Now they seem to be kind of fading with those kids. Yeah. So that's a big question mark. 
right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that has to get discussed and addressed. And so um, I feel like there are some areas where what what the next step for Coach Freeman of growth is going to be, okay, you showed you can handle certain things in season. You also showed areas where you need to grow as a coach, admittedly grow as a coach. Mm -hmm. The next step is, okay, how do you look at your team and make fixes? Right. Because what what the 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 easy thing to do, and I think the lazy thing to do, is to just automatically go to fire this guy and move on to somebody else. I think you know, fire Tommy Reese, fire Al Washington, fire Al Golden, or or <laughs> how about you guys sit down and come up with a different plan, or challenge right. people to do better, or work harder, or change strategy, or adjust things like that. It's not always about oh fire this guy. Perfect example, Mac Brown. They were running an offense early in his career at Texas. It's pro mm -hmm. style, fullback, tailback, two receivers, tight end. And it was good enough for them to go nine and three, 10 and two every year. Right. Yeah. They mm -hmm. couldn't beat Oklahoma and they couldn't win big, the big games. So what did he do? They completely changed their offense, went to a spread. Now, do you know the name of the spread coach he went out and hired to replace Greg Davis as offensive coordinator? No, you don't because he mm -hmm. didn't. Greg Davis adapted, stayed mm. the offensive coordinator, and they went out and, and won a title, played for another in a year where I still contend and will always contend that if Colt, Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt, they beat Bama. It's my contention. And so uh, no way to prove it, but that's just what I believe. It was a somewhat competitive game with Garrett Gilbert as the quarterback for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, those things have to get addressed. And then if a guy doesn't make the changes, that's when you move on, you know, sure. but uh, it's not always just all fire guys. Cause you don't want to build that reputation as a coach. Like you have one bad year and you know, this guy was hurt. That guy was hurt. You know, right. this kid quit in the middle of the year. Cause he wasn't going to play in time. And you know, I, I, it's not always easy, Ryan, to just say, Oh, fire a guy. That, that's. I, I know we, we kind of spent a lot of time talking about the defensive line. I'm also curious about the linebackers this offseason, right. Brian, because you have three coaches on this team right now. One defensive coordinator, now Golden, who literally was just a very good linebacker coach on the NFL level. Mm -hmm. You have Marcus Freeman, who played the position and has made his living coaching the position real, at a high level. And then you have James Laurinaitis, although his coaching career is very limited, he still has seen linebacker play at the highest level from Ohio State mm -hmm. to the to the St. Louis Rams at the time, right? So you have three guys that know the linebacker position, and that's a position defensive line-wise. We can have a conversation if maybe talent needs to be better in some spots, and we can have that mm -hmm. conversation. And linebacker, it does. Yes. Linebacker, you, don't, you can't really have that conversation. Right. You really can't, especially nope. with the class that's coming in on top of the 2022 group that is already there in Jalen Sneed. And I know Joshua Byrne doesn't count there, but Junior Tua Lamaca – Nolan Ziegler, yep. adding in the guys that you are now with Drake Prince Collie is, is still young. Prince yep. Collie, who's an incredibly talented player. Jay Nosberry, Preston Zinter coming in. Linebacker talent is not going to be an issue coming into next season. It's not. It's going to be a big question on me if, if it is scheme-driven, then I'm looking forward to seeing if the scheme changes a little bit or the philosophy, I guess, a part of the scheme that unlocks guys like Maris Loithal and J.D. Bertrand potentially and Jack Kaiser to play better football than they did consistently this year. But I will also say this, Brian, if it doesn't happen and it ends up that it's a talent issue up top, then it's going to be a big indicator for me to see how quickly the coaches make the changes right. and put the talent on the field. So regardless right. if it's a coaching issue or a talent issue at linebacker, 
something needs to change this offseason. I'm interested to see if it changes and how it changes specifically. So for me, Ryan, it's one of those things where the reason that the linebacker and D-line positions are such a concern, and linebacker much more so than the defensive line, is because you can question the talent all you want, but my point would be if Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand were simply the same dudes they were a year ago, we're having a different conversation about linebacker. Then the same Maris has got to play a little bit better, but they all regressed. And that's the concern for me is same thing with offensive line or excuse me, defensive line. We saw regression from some players and that's a concern. We saw statistical regression, I believe from Justin Adam although I thought his play was really good and, and, and it was okay. So why was, why was, why was that? Is it were they not using him correctly? Because I mean, he played a bunch more, and and he played with a great motor, and he played hard, and all those other kind of things, you know. But what was the reason for it? Was he not given enough opportunities? What you know? What was the case for it? And so, the the regression is the concern for me that needs to be addressed, and that's that's the challenge for Marcus Freeman, and it starts now. It's got to start now. It's got to start before the bowl game, right? Because I'll say this. This is a big bowl game for Notre Dame. I don't know who they're going to play or what game they're going to play in, but they have to win this game because nine and four with a win going into the offseason is very, very different than eight and five going into the offseason with two straight losses. I'm going to tell you that right now. People may not think it matters. It matters. It matters a ton. And so you've got to start addressing some of those things now. And that's the next challenge for Coach Freeman. That's part of the fun of coaching, too, is like, okay, here's what we did. Let's go get better. And that's true even when you're good. And so I, I think that's the next step. That's the next unknown about Coach Freeman is how is he going to handle the offseason. One thing we learned last year was there were so few leaks about the coaching search. He really kept that stuff close to the vest, like to the point where we were thinking that Dell Alexander might might be coming back. Because there was just no rumblings about it one way or the other. And then come to find out that was never going to happen. And and so there was just, there was a, he, he doesn't, he, you don't really know what he's going to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, wow, it's like, oh, this is the move, right? And then like running back, it wasn't until right before he got hired that there was even the inkling of Dylan McCullough being the candidate. Like we were hearing other names, right? And early on that it wasn't happening. And and same with other things, other position hires, where you're like, wow, where'd that where'd that one come from, right? Like, right. the only one that seemed obvious was the Al Washington one. That was just because of the connection that they had. But like special teams, there was a ton of rumblings about who the special teams coach was going to be, and it was very ever rarely, if ever, mentioned that it would be Brian Mason. So it was uh, it was really fascinating to see how that all played out. But shout, shout out to Coach Mason also for being named one of the finalists for the special yeah. teams coach of the year, man. Shout yep. out to him. He should get it. Kickers might do him in, though. I didn't see Brian Polian on that list. So yeah, it's because he stinks. Yeah, I'll just come out and say it. But anyway, I want to see him start addressing those things now. That's going to be a big key. And here's another thing that has me sort of excited about the future of this program. Ryan, you mentioned it earlier, and we'll kind of wrap up with this part before we go into the mailbag. The youth on this football team is really talented. Like, not even talking about the 23 team. Just the the, the talent that's there now. You look at the freshman class. Like, we, we talked about this 
looking at one play and using that to build your entire belief system is not a good idea. And I'm not doing that. For me, it was it's more of a um, it's confirmation of what I already believed, if I'm being honest. But when you go back and watch that last play of the BC game and you watch Aiden Gobira just rock an offensive tackle back and you watch Jalen Snead just firing the football and then earlier in that game just shooting that dude. When you watch Nolan Ziegler's sideline speed, when you watch Josh Burnham just flying off the backside, you start saying, boy, future's pretty good right now. You know, I thought Tyson Ford did some nice things in that game. First action we've seen from him. You know, you look at Tobias Merriweather. Deion Colsey had a, had a, a breakout towards the end of the year. Uh, the the running the the running backs everybody praises and loves your sophomores, you know your 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 really your starting receiving core basically by the end of the year was sophomores, and and then Tobias Merriweather, you know you've got Mitchell Evans as a sophomore, Eli Raridan, Holden Stace are freshmen, the Benjamin your best DB this year was a freshman, you yeah. know and and the future and then of course you're bringing in one of the three best recruiting classes in the entire country. Yes. next season. So that's the biggest thing for me is there is still an element of, and this was always my argument, Notre Dame always should have been better than they were, but I've never felt that they were, and never argued that they were on the same level as Bama and Georgia talent-wise. It's at some positions they are, but you're good enough to beat those teams on any given Saturday if you do what you need to do, right? And that's kind of the, I mean, look, does anyone want to argue with me that Ohio State's going to have more, or Michigan's going to have more uh, first round draft picks from their current roster than than Michigan will. I don't think. I don't think that or that Michigan will have Ohio more first State. round picks than Ohio State. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I keep hearing people talk about oh this guy, but who's kicked whose butts the last two years? Yeah, right. And so because I, so so I but I, the town is is such that and even if it's equal numbers and mm-hmm. draft picks, the games haven't been competitive. Ryan, no, uh, they've had about a half of competitive football in the last two years. That's it. Yep. That's it. And that was with Michigan calling them out for an entire year. Mm-hmm. Michigan ran their mouths and called them out and Ohio State and then and still went out and punked Ohio State on Saturday. It was worse than last year. It was a worse beating than last year, in my opinion. Physical beating. Yeah. So that uh the point is you don't have to have superior talent to play with those teams. Sure. You just have to have certain attributes and but the talent still has to be close enough. And that's the exciting thing is there's just dudes, and we've said this before, there's dudes on this roster in the freshman and sophomore classes that just look and move different. Yes. Than what we're used to. Yep. And when we have seen guys move like Jalen Sneed, they've been guys that have gone on to be stars. Now, will Jalen? I don't know. We'll have to find out because there's a lot more to it than just ability. Mm-hmm. But the 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 fact that you can look at the young talent and say, boy, there's some really good young players and the best recruiting class of all is going to come in. This team's going to have a chance to be something special. If you can address those concerns that we have and get this thing moving forward. Those, so those people ask, why are you excited? Why are you excited about the season after eight and four? It's that stuff. Because yeah. what do we always say? You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be disappointed with the outcome of the season, but still look at things and say, I'm excited about this, mm-hmm. right? We saw that from the 2014 season. Yeah, the ending season ending sucked. But you could look at that and say, but boy, when that team was right, they were pretty good, and a lot of those dudes are coming back next year. Yep. All right, and then they went out and had a pretty good year. And, and then, but at the same time, 
you were able to see a team that went 10 and three the year before. I had some complaints about that season. And I said that off season before the 2016 season, I said, there's a lot of issues with this football team. They're either going to, they're either going to be really good or they're going to implode. Right. Called that before the season. Why? Because it's not always about looking at the result and assuming that it was a good or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It was, there were whole, there were flaws there, but the talent masked it. Yeah. Right. And with this, I feel like there's a good foundation has been laid, Ryan. And when you look at the foundation, and now it's got to be tweaked and improved upon, no doubt. But the foundation, sure. I feel, that was laid this year is strong. There were some bumps on the road. There were some mistakes that were made. There's some improvements that need to be made. But the fact of the matter is, is the foundation was strong. And when you start looking at the young talent that's emerging and coming in, that's where you start getting really excited about what this team can can be. If if Coach Freeman can just make the right tweaks to this football team and make sometimes it's not even a tweak, it's just a flat out change. But mm-hmm. if he can make those those things, and that sometimes can be the hardest thing to do, Ryan, is someone that you know and care about letting them come in and either saying, Hey, this needs to change, or you're gonna be gone, or saying you're gone. That's yeah. the hardest part of being a head coach. And and I'm not saying he needs to do that. I'm just saying there's gonna come a time every coach has to fire somebody. Or tell someone you better do a better job or you will be fired. Those are tough conversations to have, but that's part of being a head coach. Sure. And I'm not saying fire people, but there are some people that need to be put on notice that if this doesn't change, and I'm, I'm, I've got you, I'm, I'm watching you now. These next 15 right. practices are sort of an evaluation for you. I do think that conversation needs to be had with a couple people. Or at least if you don't have it, make comments to where they, they kind of know, like, that's not good enough. And that's, that's going to be the thing if we're going to learn it, if he's if he's able and willing to do that. To me, that's the final piece because we know he's going to recruit his butt off. We know he we know he can get a team to play with physicality and toughness more often than not. But can he do that final step? That's going to be the thing that separates him from being a good coach, which I'm confident he will be, or a great coach, which he has the potential to be. But we need to see certain things first. Yeah, I mean, I think that the. Staff is definitely replenishing and finding talent, though, right? I mean, to your point, I mean, the young talent on this roster, just kind of circling back to your initial point, Brian, it's not just the fact that there is a lot of promising players on the of the younger group. It's the fact that a lot of these younger players that we're, that will be back with Notre Dame next year are budding stars. Right. Like, it's not that they're just solid star potential. Players. Like yeah. Joe Alt is going to go into next season as the potential. I'll just tell you from the NFL draft perspective – Everyone's going to be talking about Joe Wall potentially being offensive tackle one in the 2024 yeah. NFL draft. They're going to talk about it. They're and it's not about- a given, Ryan, that he's going to be their best offensive tackle next year. It's it's not. Again, if, if Blake Fisher <laughs> has a big offseason, man, and he right. takes a nice step, like he's another right. kid that's going to be talked about <laughs> right. a lot in NFL right. circles next year. The two running backs, Audric Estime and Logan Diggs, that you expect back are on the cusp of being stars. They are, man. They had star moments this this year for sure. And as you said yesterday in your show, mm-hmm. it's not a given that either one of them are going to be the most physically talented running back on the roster next year or even in the top two, Ryan. Well, that's that's the great thing too, Brian, is that the secondary was playing pretty well before Benjamin Morrison really broke out, right? Like right. he played against Ohio State. But I would say still, if Clarence Lewis is the other starting corner throughout the majority of the season, the secondary is still good, right? Like there would have been a still a good secondary this year. But next year... If Jeremiah Love plays a lot, it's because Jeremiah Love is a dude. If Jane Lamar plays a lot, it's because Jane Lamar is too talented to keep off the field, right? Like mm-hmm. those two guys have the opportunity to be a Benjamin right. Morrison where like, do you technically need him? 
not entirely, but the fact that he's so good, you just can't you can't keep him off the field at that point, right? Like that's the difference. So I think there's a lot of those players in the 2023 class, like Peyton Bowen is just probably gonna be too good enough, too good to keep off the field next year. You know, if he ends up with no, oh, he's going to be too good to keep out of the starting lineup next year. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, yes, yes. He, even though Charles Jagasso is not going to be an early enrollee, it, Charles Jagasso is so talented that I wouldn't be shocked if he plays some at guard next year. Right. Maybe you know, maybe not in a full time capacity, but ink some co- opportunities because he's so good because he's such a talented football player. And there's guys littered across. Like, would it be shocking to you if? Drake Bowen or Jay Nosbury play as freshmen, despite them being a part of a really deep linebacker group. Like it's very possible, right? So there's guys throughout this 2023 class that are coming in on top of this sophomore class of this year that we saw a lot of guys take massive steps. Talk about next year having Tobias Merriweather coming back from the concussion issues. Hopefully he takes a big step in the offseason. Deion Colsey as a sophomore had a nice little breakout towards the end of the season. The, the scary part about about Benjamin Morrison is we haven't even seen close to as good as he can be, right? Like we just saw right. the freshman version of him. He can get even better, right. which is, yeah. So to your point, the staff's going to have a lot of talent to work with. Now from there, I mean, they need to make adjustments and they need to get everybody right. up to their potential. But there's a lot to feel very optimistic about next year and throughout because recruiting isn't stopping, man. Even with oh, the struggles yeah. – they're still pulling in a lot of talented yeah, You never know, Ryan. We may have an extra show this week. Am you I? never know. You never know. We're going to end it on that. I think Ryan said it perfectly. Uh, we're we're going to obviously spend this entire next however many months breaking this team down every capacity. But I did want to kind of take a look at just sort of a sort of a, a postmortem, so to speak, on the regular season. And I think it's very important that the, that the lessons that that need to be learned get learned now and start being applied for the bowl prep. I think that's very important for this football team. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to to, to go. We're going to do a, a mailbag next. So don't don't go because we, we have some very interesting questions coming up. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. We would also pre- greatly appreciate it if you sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com and check out our website at irishbreakdown.com.